What's good, y'all? Welcome to this week's episode of Been Drinking, Been Watching. My name is Matthew Belts, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Andrew Hogan and Alex Ace Caimano. On this week's episode, we are breaking down 2007 psychological horror film, 1408. Based off of the short story by Stephen King and directed by Mikhail Hofstrom, starring John Cusack and Samuel L. Jackson, 1408 tells the story of a cynical writer named Mike Enslin, who writes books evaluating supernatural phenomenon in hotels, graveyards, and other haunted places. Usually he debunks the mystery, but while writing his latest book, he travels from Los Angeles to New York to spend one night in the Dolphin Hotel's possessed room, 1408. This week's episode is officially, unofficially sponsored by Sam Adams Boston Lager. As always, we had a great time making this episode, and we hope you enjoy. Let's do the thing. Like been drinking, been watching. You can sit on your own dick for this one. I will answer it, but I need to know the parameters here. Really good. I don't know how you're that good. How has never nobody ever thought to say, "Just do the thing." It's going to be my catchphrase from now on, and everybody's going to. It's going to. It's going to be rave reviews, and everybody's going to be hashtagging it, and they're going to be attributing it to me. This episode, fourteen oh eight. No, they're not. Yeah, they will. You just. You're just jealous. You don't have a catchphrase. Listen, I don't need a catchphrase. I'm fine. Anyway, you'll cool. want one one day. <laughs> Cool, everyone. My catchphrase is cool. Hey, everybody, <laughs> welcome back to Ben Drinking, Ben Watching. It's us, it's your boys. Mm. Yeah, you tried it out. It's your boys. Do the thing. Hi. Shut the fuck up. All right, <laughs> All right so we picked 1408 for I picked 1408. <laughs> we did not pick 1408. It's a great Matthew, movie, right? Matthew picked 1408, which I'm still uh, wondering why, but I'm not so disappointed as to what I saw. Ace, I, if uh, I may be so bold to interject here, um, <laughs> I'd like to know... What were you doing at the time that you decided we were watching 1408? What was I doing? Yeah, like, yeah, like, were you having, like, an Eskimo pie, and you were just like, you know what, John Cusack's, well... Well, honestly, I was, there was a piece of dialogue that I had been flipping around in my head for a little bit, and it was like, ah, where where did that come from? And then I was flipping through Amazon Prime, being like, I gotta pick a movie, I gotta pick a movie, and you had just said that we were gonna do a comedy next week, Mm -hmm. so I'm not gonna pick another comedy, even though I was thinking about Happy Gilmore. So long story short, I found out what that piece of dialogue was, and I was like... 1408. That's what we're watching. What's the dialogue? It's something, uh, it's when he's in the office and he leans in to Samuel Jackson and he's like, uh, something to the effect of, you know, and I, I, I'm not afraid of the ghosts and the ghoulies. Ghoulies and, and goblins and long legged beasties. Aren't real. Yeah. When he says they are real, there's no God to save us all from it, which is yes. the theme of the fucking movie. Right. Yeah. Right. right. So I, I latched onto that piece of dialogue and I was like, oh, that was kind of a good scene between them like dialogue wise uh maybe maybe the movie holds up because it's been a bit all right well with that andrew do you think it holds up so i want to say i want to say a couple things about this movie because when i was a kid um matthew and i saw this in 07 i think is when it came out Mm -hmm. big fans initially like big fans it wasn't it's kind of unique you know, like, there's not a lot of movies that are really like this, in my opinion, especially off the top of my head. And while I was watching it, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this movie makes you feel things that <laughs> that, that not a lot of movies do. And I think the first 10 minutes of the movie kind of suck. 
Mm. But then as soon as he gets the letter from the dolphin and his interaction with Samuel, uh, I think that's a great scene. I think that's the best scene in the movie personally. Um, And then I think um, to get, you know, technical, uh, as soon as he gets off the elevator and the color scheme in the scenes and the camera work, it feels very claustrophobic. And with every step that he takes, it's so clear that he gets further and further away from any chance that he has of getting out of this. No shit. And I do really like that. Mm. Um, I, and I love everything in up in that point. I'm obviously not going to go into specific details yet, but um, the movie really has me at that point up until he goes into the vent. Mm. Um, actually, excuse me, a little before he goes into the vent um, when he's scaling the building. Mm. I really like the idea of that scene. I think that where they're going with that works. But then the second that you see the woman who... I think it's a great idea to have the jump scare with her slicing at the window, Mm. but she has this like green silhouette that makes her look like a Toy Story character. It it is, which is, but it looks cheesy. Like it, like to me, there there were a lot of opportunities in this movie to watching it now. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of opportunities in this movie to make it scarier. Sure. Like, even the guy who comes from behind him when he sees his reflection, I looked at him and I was like, oh, it, it looks like Vern Troyer. <laughs> it looks like homeless Vern Troyer. Yeah, like, I, I thought I thought hair. there was a lot of opportunity to make it scarier. No, sure. it was a little cartoonish for me. Um, And I don't... So, from that point, then he goes up in the vent, which I thought was a reach. Um, The dead... The, um, the former room uh, guests who he sees up there, the dead person. That chase. Yeah. So yeah. Bad. Like yeah. I thought that I, that didn't really work for me again, kind of cartoonish. I me. felt that even when we saw it in theaters, that gave me one of the biggest jump scares, but that seemed cartoonish even mm. in the theaters. And then, um, so I'm a kind of out at that point up until he wakes up in the hospital. Then I'm back in. That's a large part of the no, movie. It's really not though. It's, no? it's, it's like 17 minutes. <laughs> um, I don't know if it's 17 minutes, but there is a bigger chunk than I remember when he gets in the hospital and then he gets I was just going to, I was just going to go into lot, that too. Bigger point. Because when I was point. watching it at that point, I was like, I noticed where he gets into the hospital and it's at like the hour 15 mark in the movies right. an hour 52, obviously. So I was right. like, oh wow. I was like, obviously. I was like, there's not that much that happens left in the movie. I was like, so then I looked at my time again and it's like 15 minutes that he's out of the room. Which, right. kudos like you, to you the director. Mm. The, you reestablish a completely different setting, and they did a really good job yeah. doing that. So, I, like I said, in, initially to start off the pod, for my initial impressions, there's a little bit of a lull in the middle of the movie. But otherwise, um, I do still think it's a, I, I think it's a cool movie. I think um, it's a good film adaptation of a book. Um, and I enjoyed watching it again. Real quick, before we get to Ace, I do want to throw this in as to why I also had this in mind. Because uh, essentially, we've been doing a bunch of movies that have big character, uh, like a big cast, a big ensemble thing. So sure. I was I was looking for a movie where one guy could pretty much carry it. Sure, okay. I like that. So what right, do you well, think, that Ace? Was, that was, that, that's good, because that's like one of my points here is that I'm not the biggest John Cusack fan. I'm definitely not a huge John Cusack hater, but um, there were parts in this movie where he had me, and I would say like a third of the movie, a third of his performance, I was like, damn, Cusack, you fucking got it going on. Killing it. And then for two-thirds of the movie, I was like, oh, fucking Cusack. You're like, you're really Nick Cajun. <gasps> very Nicholas Cage. Like, you're yes. really Nick Cajun. He's hit or miss, movie. and he goes like very big over the top. Yeah, and he, he took a lot of those liberties, especially for when you establish him in the movie as kind of a, a subdued 
like okay i'm i'm almost i'm like half stoic or like he almost had like a david Duchovny vibe in california he wishes he wishes <laughs> I, feel like he, I feel like he was trying to go for like a david Duchovny californication david Duchovny would never be caught dead wearing that shirt <laughs> oh, man. the wardrobe was a bit silly as well but like they did that and then like there are some points where i feel like the director almost wanted to like bring a bit of the shining out of this movie, which mm. you had, you had all the elements to do so. Mm. I mean, a haunted hotel, a guy going insane. <clears throat> I think that that was, you know, that instinctually, yeah, you're correct. That's what you're trying to establish as a mood. I just think it missed the mark of being able to do something like that hard. Um, I will say that there are points in this movie where the I don't know what it is. I think that maybe there's just a curse that is on Stephen King adaptations mm. where it's like the cheese drips way too fucking fast and, and heavy. Mm. But in this movie, it definitely had moments where everything's working. Like everything's really, really working. And there are a couple of scenes that I'm going to point out later. Um, but ultimately, when I, I saw it first and I was like, this movie was okay. And so you I had really seen it before. I had, and I wasn't really thrilled to go back in, but going back in and coming out, I was like, okay, you know what? This actually isn't as bad as I remember. Still pretty cringy, but not as bad. And I remember when I did see it, when it came out, I was super thrilled because the trailer obviously fucking sold it. Absolutely. And, and Samuel Jackson sells it throughout the movie. Sam Jackson is fucking great He's in this. He's awesome. He is really, really good in this. It but is an evil fucking room. <laughs> I love that line. But, I mean, one of the things that I remember harping on when I was a kid, and then this is what I kind of attributed its failure to, and this is obviously my my youth and my ignorance that's speaking on this topic, but it was a PG-13 horror movie, mm -hmm. and I always had this connotation that if a horror movie is going to be good, it needs to be rated R because you have no boundaries and you're going to be able to do everything that you want to do. You're not held back by a rating. It's pretty and effective in a PG-13 form here, at least. I agree. I yeah. totally agree. For a PG-13 movie, the things that would make it rated R, this movie did not need. No. This movie did not need. And what I think the three biggest things of a rated R horror movie is uh, profanity, nudity, and gore. Mm -hmm. And this movie didn't have it and it didn't need it. No. Mm -mm. Just like Insidious. Insidious is, is PG-13. Right. Isn't The really Conjuring, that. too? Uh, I think The Conjuring's are. Yeah, The Conjuring's are PG-13. No, are. I think The Conjuring's are. Oh. Are there are, are. They, they are. They are. They are. Are rated. <laughs> they received a rating of R they from the NPAA. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's kind of my general impression here. What do you got, Matthew? This was your pick, so let's see yeah, man. how you feel about your pick. For sure. I Honestly, it, I just kind of offhandedly picked it, but I was really glad because I, I think Cusack, I mean, it really relies on Cusack carrying the whole movie right. with the nice assist at the beginning and at the midpoint from Sam Jackson. And I think that you guys are absolutely right when you, you know, kind of refer to him as like a Nick Cage type. Uh, a lot of his move, like, I don't know if you're talking his whole career or if you're talking specifically just this movie, but within this movie, I feel like he hits a Nick Cage win. Like, it's okay. a character. It's a character who's kind of got that cynical, jaded aspect to him, which I feel John Cusack has just in his natural life. Um, so he carries himself well in this movie, and there are certain parts where 
I don't know. You just like he's got the voice, he's got the temperament for it. Like the only parts I don't really believe him in are uh like the when he's outside of the hotel, like when he's interacting with the outside world and he's wearing that fedora and that hat sucks. That so hat sucks so bad. So fucking toolish. But like uh I've read the short story and it's pretty impressive to see that they could make a whole feature out of it. And I'd, I'd say and I really like some of the things that they do for the scares. Like they have a lot of jump scares in there, but you don't like they're good. You don't see him coming. Like I'm thinking about when he's like looking out the window and he's got his hand there and then he turns back into the room and then you hear the, the you know, he gets injured. The window closes on his hand. Mm-hmm. And then I also love the trope with the clock, the, you know, the we've only just begun and then it counts oh, down yeah. from 60 and then he holds up the, uh, he the holds up the recorder. voice recorder. Nobody ever gets out of here. And, uh, you know, nobody ever lasts last 60 minutes. Yeah. So I thought that th- there was a lot that worked and I, also love the recurring theme of the seven circles of hell and how yeah, you know one sure. is really hot and one is really cold there's the water and element. then you kind of go through like all of the emotional elements of this the the seven layers as well as like all right for all of your sins these are the specifics like the the greed the selfishness the um arrogance mm. you and know. so um one of the things that we always asked ourselves when we were kids and i don't know if you've ever thought about this ace is at what point in his tent, in his stay there, do you think it's too late? As soon as he walks through the door. So you think that? I do. Okay. I really, I, I truly do believe as soon as he walks through the door, and there's, and that's the reason why the caretaker doesn't come through the door, and that's the reason why Sam Jackson won't even go down the hall. I really do. Are you believe, talking about the door to the the, the lobby, or are you no, talking no, about no, the door? He's talking about the, the door to fourteen oh eight. And and that's and they harp on that again when the the room takes over the video. And uh, tells his, uh, I'm not sure if, because they're not divorced. No, it's his wife. It's still. his wife. It's his still wife. It's like, yeah, just come right through the door. And like that is, it really is just that fucking rectangle of this is the threshold at which, like, if you cross here, you're fucked. Mm. My only theory to that is that it's when the clock starts. It's when the cl- so you think he had time before the <laughs> yeah, clock Yeah, because like, like Sam Jackson said, they do have two stewardesses that go in there and do a 10 minute turn down. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which, um, it might have even been 10 minutes that he's in there before the clock starts. Hmm. I mean, it, it totally could have, but, like, the, the spooky shit really does start happening before the clock with the it chocolates does. and the, the uh, toilet paper and all that shit. So, like, things start getting weird as soon as he starts to underestimate the room. Do we think the chocolates are laced? And that none of this actually happened. There is, and he questions that himself. I know like, he's oh, like, the booze, did he take a drink? Yeah, did he like, yeah, like did he take a drink I, again? Well, the, the oh, what is the? I just gotta ride this out. I just gotta ride this out. Yeah, what's the? There's um the levels of not levels of denial, but um the stages of uh, grief. I, is that what it is? Is it the stages of grief? Well, I'm glad you guys are denial not... is a stage of the right, grieving right. Of process. Grief. Denial, um, paranoia, and I don't even think paranoia is one of them, but anger. I think well, it actually starts with anger. I'm glad that this came up naturally because something I wanted to say within my just general impressions was that this is a really good distillation of grief and the grieving process. Agree. And it's like, you know, he pretty much ran away from his life after his daughter passed. He severed ties with his wife. You know, he got in a big fight with his dad. 
mad. Like he's pretty much, you know, isolated himself in the worst way. And it's like going into this room is forcing him to deal with his grief of losing his daughter and like what that's turned him into. So it's, I, I thought it was pretty cool to that look is, at it like that. That is cool. Something I also want to say on the general impressions on a technical standpoint, I think that the editing and the sound editing in this movie works beautifully. The sound editing is great, and I can point out specifically uh, when the clock starts. So after after he turns off the music, and then you hear the... And then in the background, it's almost like there are a bunch of different sounds coming at you, but they're dropping in and out, but they've got this rhythm to them that's really beautiful. For sure. I mean, there are definitely points where it's almost, like you say, rhythm, and I would say almost too rhythmic for... I think the piece, but the, it totally works. Even just the way that the volume crescendos in intensity when things start getting intense, like when the room starts to crack open, when, you know, the the paintings start to come alive, like all that really does work for me. Hmm. There, uh, The editing, I think, works and when it goes from cut to cut, but I do think that there's some of it that effect-wise is cheesy. Like the, uh, the, the hologram people, mm-hmm. the TV hologram, mm-hmm. um, apparitions or whatever won't age exactly all that well and i don't think that they do and i think that there there's a bit of that that's a that's quite cheesy Mm. but um other than that everything i think worked really well and there's some there's i don't know if we want to talk about this later but there's one thing that really got me and i think it was when he see actually sees his daughter Mm. And, like, first of all, that was a horrifying scene. I think, like, the most horrifying part of this movie, for me, is the fact of a never-ending hallucination Mm. and not being able to go back to anything that's normal, not be able to touch anything that's normal again, and having that extreme paranoia in question forever. Mm. And I was watching this with Karen, and I asked her, like, do you think that there is some, like actual physical neurological altering that happens in your brain from these kind of traumas like when you're so fucking scared like is your brain just fucked forever and but back to the scene i mean we we can i would only be i would only be taking a stab at the dark but i think a stab in the dark but i i think the answer is yes i i think so as well but the scene i'm talking about that really nailed it for me with sound design is when he sees the daughter and he is in denial, like, you're not real. And in the back, you hear the tone. Like, the like the room tone is still there. Everything is there to, like, keep you in it. But as soon as he embraces her, and they have, like, that long cut where he's holding her, and they're, like, cutting back and forth to them talking, everything cuts out except for them talking. Mm. And I, when I'm watching this, I'm on the edge of my seat. I can't believe that this movie is putting me at the edge of my seat. But I feel like this horror in my gut about what's to come not even just what's to come just the fact that all the sound dropped out and it's just his sobs and it's beautiful that you know you gotta the all the elements seem to be working in this instance and i'll i'll kudos to john cusack doing the thing see how i did that yeah, see how i did that um doing the thing there because like he really sells it like not only not only has he been in this hallucinatory situation with just absolute dread <laughs> raining down all around him but then 
quite literally, he's forced to go through his daughter's death again. Like, right. if you were to attribute a personality to room 1408, they are a cruel mistress. Truly. I would, <laughs> I would say that was the cruelest thing I think he'd ever <clears throat> interacted in that, interacted with in that room was that, and going and seeing that again, not even seeing him be an asshole, not even seeing, like, these horrifying, like, visions of death. And, but, like, he like, actually got to hold his daughter was. again. And then it left him. And, like, like the, the, crumble. The, see, that's the thing that gets me and like that is the best like jump scare if you want to call it that it's when you slam the sound back in after that really touching like real scene like you're really invested in this fucking and then he starts tearing apart the room well, he tears apart the room and he's holding his daughter and then the music from the clock clicks on again all the sound swooshes back he crushes his daughter who's now made of ash and he's like trying to scramble it together and then he's there laying on the floor everything's back to normal the room tore itself apart and I then love he's that. back in it and it's only been an hour it's only been an hour well no that that happens after the that happens after he thinks he's out no, I know, but that all happens within an hour. So the clock starts down from 60 at the beginning, and then the clock essentially, by the time the daughter crumbles, that was the first hour. And then the clock resets. Like, do you want to do another hour? I don't I don't think that's true. I'm, I'm not sure that that's true. No, I'm uh, pretty sure that's true. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, he... So after, he, after, the, after the daughter crumbles, he wakes up back on the floor. And, the, and, and he looks over at the back clock, together, and it, it just goes back to sixty. Restarts, and then he's like, "Okay, he's like, if oh, I'm right. gonna die, he's and that's like, when I'm the phone call comes. Me. That's when yeah, the phone call about comes. Him checking out, and then yeah. he sees the noose. Are you ready to check out, or do you want to keep experiencing this? Well, because I thought it was he. He woke up in the hospital, and then, or does he go through the whole hospital and back into like real life? And then when he, he comes post, back to the room, and then that's when the daughter happens after he comes back from reality. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. That makes more sense. Because he's yeah, freaking out sense. about how he was out, and then he like has his oh, has his right. face in his hands, and he like picks it up. That's when the daughter comes. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, that's that's right. You are correct. I apologize. There's the two endings to this movie. There are three. I've Which only, one did you watch? So I watched the one where Samuel L. Jackson's at his funeral. Yeah, I saw that one too. But I also obviously know the one where the he, theatrical one. Yeah, where he's got the recorder. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there are three endings, and the one that was released theatrically, that's the one where John Cusack lives, and then he's going through his belongings that he was able to retrieve from the fire, and he finds the tape recorder, and his wife knows he he plays the sound of the voice of the daughter. So she hears the sound of the voice of the daughter as he was experiencing it in the room. Oh, because I saw I saw the the Sam Jackson at the funeral, and he listens to the recorder, and then he gets Cusack in the back, and then it it ends on Cusack in the hotel room, still the burnt hotel room. He's smoking a cigarette, and he disappears off into the mist. Mm -hmm. I like the first version better, quite honestly. The one with the tape recorder. Well, they both have a tape recorder. Well, I like the one the where he's with the wife, and he actually lives. And it's like you know, it's kind of this beautiful because if you think about the character, the whole movie, he's saying God doesn't exist. If there were a God, he would be here to protect us. And then and then at the end, it's like okay, I've gone through hell i know what i experienced and now it's like okay i lived through it now i have i have vindication that there's an afterlife or there's something else sure, sure. you know i could see that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the I mean, one I, I personally like when he goes down i mean i feel like that's the only way you could take this character and i'm really trying to figure out like what did this character do that was so evil to deserve this kind of torture well, his right. arrogance. He abandoned his child. Um, she died. His arrogance is definitely the biggest flaw. His arrogance, for sure. Yeah, but is that hell worthy? Like Jesus. 
Like, like this? Well, in a Stephen King book. I suppose. <laughs> he was warned. He, he was <laughs> yeah, warned. he was warned he so was many warned. times. Like, they gave him every opportunity not to go in that room. All and right. he was like, fuck yourself. All right, speaking of that, what do we think of the first uh, interaction between him and uh, Sam Jackson when he's in the room and he's offering him the, the really expensive booze and he's, you know, trying to tell him, like, I'll give you everything, just don't go in the room. Quite honestly, dude, I think it's a great scene and it's a great exchange of dialogue and Sam Jackson he really sells it as a man who's been there you know uh, on my watch four people have died in 1408 and you know I was trained as a hotel manager not as a coroner you know something to that effect and it's like okay like you're you're believing this guy has history at the hotel and he has reason you know and he's like what does he say he's like yeah you could stay in there but selfishly I just don't want to clean up the mess he's like I don't care about you he's like I don't want to clean up the mess yeah and I think that's great. I think he he also helps build. Like, if you didn't have Sam Jackson's character and that scene, you wouldn't really have any anticipation for this room. Because all you have to go off of is the postcard and then him talking to his manager about how like they're you know they'll file a legal claim if you can't get in there but sure. then it's like he gets to the hotel you have and him you trying have to book it too he's yeah. trying to book it and on the phone and they're like it's it's, it's, it's not available not available sir how about next summer not, not available sir <laughs> yeah I that was i thought that was pretty cool why would you think of sam jackson's scenes i loved them i think <laughs> i mean sam jackson has like 12 minutes of screen time and he's fucking awesome in all 12 of it. Yeah, I agree. Especially the one in the fridge. I was literally just about to say that that's my favorite John Cusack freak out in the movie is when he yeah. starts tearing out the fridge and the way that the camera kind of like comes in on him as he's like tearing out all the stuff and he's punching the refrigerator. He really does do a level of like true madness in that scene and I really like how it's like you, like you still as an audience member question is like is he like really having a freak out? Did he really like psych- did he get psyched out so hard? Hard where he's now tripping. Yeah. Or it's like, did he psych himself out so hard where he's actually believing that this room is fucking crazy because of just what he's gone through as a person? Well, let me ask you, because you keep bringing up the idea that it's still a hallucination. Are you not convinced the room is really evil? No, I mean, in the in the story, I do think it is, but the idea of it just being a hallucination still horrifies me. Mm. Like, that, that, I think, is what, like, leaves me shook after watching this movie is the fact that hallucinations are that strong can be they can be that fucking strong and you know the idea well, uh, the biggest fear for me is the fact that he gets out and he's back in it's like holy fucking I shit was out. see that's my favorite freak out of his i think that one's like the most genuine that that like tears into me when he's screaming there because i the first time i saw that i was like oh i was he's... like you gotta be <laughs> freaking kidding me like, <laughs> yeah yeah, especially when like he, he, like it played him for that long. Like he'd had nights back in the real world, right? Like, like he, he I think it's like three up. nights, right? Something like that, yeah. where he was out for long enough to be like, okay, cool. This isn't just like every We're minute good. now. I'm Went to dinner in. with his wife, like yeah. Yeah, and oh god, that that really does scare the piss out of me. You know, kudos to the director because uh, very early on when Mike comes to the hotel and he's in the lobby waiting for the managers to come and see him, so he tries to get his room, she goes away, she gets the manager, he comes over, he's like, we want, you know, our manager wants to talk to you, just give us a minute. There's a, a... distinct close-up of one of the bellboys, and he comes up to Mike, and I remember it specifically this time around, because I'd forgotten about it the last time or two that I've seen this movie, and they hold on this close-up of this bellboy, and I was like, 
that's interesting. Like, I don't think he comes back. Why are they making such a deal? He certainly does. And then he's at the post office, and that's right. when it all kind of clicks and starts to devolve. And, and like, I, I, I feel like I can really feel what uh, Mike Etzlin, John Cusack's character, is feeling when they're tearing the walls apart. Where he's like, no. Well, it, it's just, it's literally crippling silence. No. Where it's like everything's falling apart behind him and around him, and he all of his fears are coming back in full swing. It's yeah. Like, Oh my god! Like I feel that so hard. Like as if like the door, like these walls just came down. There was a production crew that took the walls down, and it's like, oh yeah, nothing's been real. Like, Speaking of the production crew, I watched a little behind the scenes vignette on how this thing was made. Oh, yeah. Holy shit, it, dude! It looks like it was a feat. Holy shit! Like just the the scene that stands out for me. They had a whole underwater unit. They had the hotel room. They had fourteen oh eight that could dip into like uh, a James Cameron type, you know, pool. So when when he really yeah so when he hits the painting and you see all that water coming in that's a separate unit of the hotel that they put on a soundstage that could dip into a pool. So that water flooding in is coming, you know, through some vents, and then they're slowly lowering this thing into a dunk tank. So that's a real water force that's taking him. Yeah, dude. How wow, cool is that? Fucking, that is pretty cool. And you know, you're right. You're, thank you for uh, correcting me earlier because that's when he wakes up on the beach after the yes. the room gets flooded. And yes, that's way before the the daughter. Yeah. I really go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, like that was uh, that was pretty intense. It was super intense. Uh, you just you kind of feel like you're drowning with him. I mean, they really did it well with the filmmaking of that. Uh, you know, um, let me ask you guys this: What was your favorite uh, effect that happens in the movie? Whether it be you know the the freezing computer, whether it be the wall dripping in blood, whether it be you know the water effects or him on the ledge. Like, it was the ash. It was the ash daughter. The ash daughter. The That's ash. The Ash Daughter. You really like the Ash Daughter? I, I, I well, it, it it hit for me as something that was like, oh my god, that is devastating. Like you're you were just holding something that was so pure and real to you, and you were holding it so close, and then you broke it. And like, we put you your money into some mutual funds, and it did a little bit on the IRA, and then it's gone. <laughs> And it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? <laughs> but yeah, that that's the effect that really worked for me the most. And like, not only visually, but emotionally, that, that mm. fucking nailed it for me. A lot of the other things, I was like, okay, I, I've seen all of this shit before. Andrew? The clock. The clock. Mine is the clock. And it's yeah, the really. song, really. Is that the Carpenters that sings that? That is the Carpenters, that's right. It's, it's that song, because... 2007 that movie comes out I'm still driving to school every morning with Deb uh, Light Rock 105 is playing all the time and that was a staple on that radio station so like, like every time that song plays even now when that song plays 1408 I'm like back in high school like, when oh you're back in high school and you're getting driven to school by Deb and yeah. that song comes on the tape recorder comes out is this hell <laughs> I'm like shut this <laughs> I'm, like, I'm gonna hit her, make her crash again. Though, again, I will. I will say that there was some a lot of John Cusack that like there was so many good things in this movie that I think that John Cusack added to a third of it, and then two thirds of it he really took me out of all the work that went into making this movie effective. Like, what's an example? Um, a, a lot of his tape recorder stuff. I mean, I think oh, you didn't dig it? Not all, not the whole time. Like a lot of it when he was like really tripping through, I was like, okay, buddy. And some of his freak out, like even when the door showed up and he's like cracking his neck and he's like, do it. 
open it, open the door. Like, mm. I'm ready for the last thing that you could possibly show me. Oh, I love that. I love that line love when that. he's looking at the door and he goes, open it, open it. I love that. Do you? Yeah. Oh, man, that, 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 I was like, yeah. No, that didn't, feel, that didn't feel cheesy to me. No, I, I, I really like that. Yeah. It, it, it felt like to me, it's like, okay, big britches, like you're ready for anything. And it's like, obviously you weren't. I well, love the mother with, in the, with the baby in the bassinet. I love that element of it because you obviously can't see her face initially, mm-hmm. but then once you see over her and she's like, Mike, Mike, come help me with the baby. You're like, wait, um, wait a minute. What's going on here? One other example that kind of took me out was when uh, he's going back and seeing his freak out after the daughter died and is talking to his wife and he flips the table and then calmly says, I'm going to get cigarettes. Mm, yeah, that I, was like, what I the fuck, what? you know, it's it's, it's like, funny. This is cool. I'm gonna make a mess and then I'm gonna go get cigarettes. I'm not only gonna, I'm just gonna say it so nonchalantly. No, it's, it's funny very you bring John that up. <laughs> well, it's funny you bring that up because you were talking about sound design earlier. And as I was watching it this time around and that line came up, I was like, they probably just didn't have motivation for him to leave and they just ADR'd that and put it on at the end. You had plenty of motivation. You had plenty of, he's freaking out. There's motivation. He could have literally just, just left. He didn't even need door. to, he didn't even need to say, I'm he gonna go know. get cigarettes even though it's definitely uh a trope of hi- of him throughout the movie was like it's a point there's like i quit cigarettes and throughout the movie when he's remembering things it was all about going to get smokes and like in like smoking was a thing that was very important to him to kind of calm his shit down mm. when he was smoking so like i see why they did it but and it helps with the payoff at the end. I I gotta be honest, dude. I love love the scene where he burns down the room and he he sits back and he's got a drink and he lights himself a cigarette and you hear the the walls moaning and he goes, "Shut up." <laughs> the cigarette is good foreshadowing in the beginning of the movie of how yeah, yeah. Of how everything's gonna play out when he's talking to Samuel L. about why he keeps it on him. Yeah, and I really I like that like dialogue. The world or like apocalyptic. Uh, yeah. And I really like that dialogue. Well, it's not even dialogue. It's it's it's, it's voice. It, really. Well, it's it's uh, voiceover that's kind of motivated from like in his subconscious. And he doesn't say anything, but you see him with the the flame waving his hand through, and he goes, "This flame is real enough." It, it was something like that. And he's like, "If this fire is real, then this must be real." So he's like, you know. I, I liked it. You, you know where I'm going from. I do, because that's like his way of being like, okay, if I actually do light this place on fire, what would happen? It's going to catch on it's fire. It's got to catch on fire. Yeah, and then he takes to. the ashtray and he's like, yeah. Well, that was genius, too, because I mean, uh, I, I don't know the actual, but he was adding oxygen to the fire. The to actual really, chemistry of it. Yeah, I don't know the chemistry of it, but it was brilliant because he's like, all right, I'm done with the smoke. Let's really burn this fucker. <laughs> See, the, the, I, I don't remember exactly what the last word or what, like, and and this is something that always gets me with movies that take me out of it is, um, what's what's the term? The uh, last girl standing, or or something like last man standing, or their final, cheesy line, the, the the final girl, or like, last man standing. The final girl theory is final in horror movies. Theory, yeah. Right? Oh yeah. Theory, and I I know it's like unisex. It's like the final whatever. But anytime that they have like a last line, like a last Schwarzenegger line, I'm like, oh fucking Christ, man, just fucking do the thing. Yeah. Like well, yeah. What does he say? Is, he's like, see you in uh, burning hell. I think he's what he says. Something like that. Yeah. 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 All right. Like, That's oh, a little cheesy. On. That's I'm a little. Like, Oh, you didn't have to. Like, the he, only thing that 
what I would defend that line on is that the movie overall borderline is borderline cheesy. And I don't think it has anything yep. to do with the writing, acting, editing, sound, nothing like that. What The movie feels cheesy to me in the way it was shot. Kudos to them. It, it has a hallucinatory feel that you keep kind of harping on. But like some of the camera moves, some of the coverage, I'm like... I feel like this would have been effective, more effective if you had done this in less coverage and less Dutch angles. And uh, maybe I'm nitpicking a bit too much, but I think that's what I think that's what lends itself to the cheesiness. Like if you even look at the opening scene in the lobby, a lot of the camera moves in there. I'm like. Did you have to film it that way? Like when when Sam Jackson first approaches him and they're in that close up and it's them kind of standing off with each other and the camera keeps swooshing around them and you know it's like I feel like it would have been more effective to establish the characters like lock it off and like really understand that they're in a duel here. Yeah, but I don't know if they were much in a duel. <clears throat> I think that Mike was definitely in there like to fight for it. And I think that Sam Jackson was really speaking from a place of this is a terrible idea. And there's a very big reason, and I'm not going to make exceptions for you, but and he even says it um, in the uh, hallucination where he's in the fridge where he's asking, he's like, why don't you just kill me? And he's like, well, you know, we have to give everybody free will. Or no, he doesn't say it. The, um, the, the phone does. The phone does. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so we have to, like, everybody has the right to some kind of free will. Mm. No, like, he doesn't. And that's why it keeps trying to uh, antagonize him to kill himself. Well, again, if you talk about if you give the room a personality, you are a son of a bitch, you know? It's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to let you, you know, we're, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to give you that satisfaction. We're going to just drive you to the point where you're about to choose. Well, because you have to because we're, they're driving you so fucking insane in this room where mm. it's like the only way to end it is for me to off myself. Then fucking fine. Fucking fine. Fine, I will. It sucks. Okay. Fine. Sucks. Fine. <laughs> uh, I was. Uh, there was something. Oh, okay. Here's here's something that I want to know. What do you think was the deal with harping on his first novel? Like, why do you think that was a point that was made? It shows. It shows two things. One, it shows. It, my opinion. It shows two things. It one shows that he actually is a talented writer. Mm-hmm. Like he's better than what he's let himself be. Which I think attributes not only to his career, but his personal life. Like, you're in this room for a reason. You've let your life get to a place where you need to go through this ringer. And then secondly, um, maybe to not the greatest effect, uh, it establishes that, you know, he's, he's got some kind of a personal trauma he's going through. You know, when the girl asks him at the signing, she's like, you know, does it, don't, I, I don't mean to be rude, but well, no, she said, Oh no, it was, uh, I think it was the girl. She goes, I think, no, she says, is the boy real? Uh, was it the, no, it was the father. Is the interaction with the father. Is the inner, is the father real? Is it based on something? He goes, no, it's like, you know, it's fiction and it's not. You know, so and he, even Samuel Jackson talks about that. Well, that's that's why father's I to bring a bit of an ass. <laughs> yeah, he's, I thought he was a bit of a bastard. That's yeah. why I wanted to bring it up because it's it's harped on twice. It's like it's harped on when you're establishing who he is, and then it gives you a piece of okay, this is what you used to be, and that's harped on again. It's harped on three times, and this is a very subtle one, and it's not actually mentioned in the book. Are you but talking it's, about why he sees the father again? 
No, no, but that maybe four times. I was going to say it's harped on in a uh, non-direct way when we go to Tony Shalhoub as the manager. He makes a point of saying, you know, more or less that John John Cusack, Mike Enslin, he's our cash cow. Like, he's a really talented writer. Like, we need him to get what he wants. So it's like you establish that he's a good writer. You establish that he's got a manager. He's got a publisher that wants to do everything to make sure he gets what he needs. And then it's reinforced forced again when uh, the, the Samuel L. Jackson character is like, hmm, read your first book. It was uh, pretty good, you know? That's interesting. Uh, all right. I like that. One of my takes from it was, I think that was like a huge, uh, not just a warning sign, but a, um, I don't know, it was, it was kind of like the world or the universe of this movie telling him, it's like, you should go back to this. Like, you've strayed so far away from your purest and most genuine self that you really should revisit this part of you that was able to create this and, like, like what your intentions were when you were creating this. Because your intentions here as you're doing, like, these these haunted house reviews are, It's a quick book. It's greasy. It's, it's a really greasy. Buck. It's a greasy way of writing, and it's a greasy way of like, like just having an artistic output. And you really did have something that was good, and you you abandoned it. Which it's like, okay, I could see why somebody would do that after they lose their child to cancer. But somewhere in there, I feel like Stephen King was making a comment about himself. <laughs> okay, when is he not? <laughs> when is Stephen King not putting himself in every fucking character and story he's ever written? Well, I mean, think about it because Stephen and, King at the time. When did 1408, the actual short story, come out? Hold on. I'm just going to do a quick Google search. I remember search. It, was, it was actually a thing where he did it as an exercise. And was then, it? And then developed it into an actual short story. I think he was not doing a seminar, but he was doing an example of, like, how, like, he he writes or some shit like that. And then he's like, you know what? I actually kind of like this. I'm going to go forth with this and, and make it happen. So 1408, the short story, came out in 99. Um, and then in 2002, it was thrown into a short story of uh, a collection of short stories. Everything's eventual. So, like, by that point, he was almost a parody of himself to a certain degree. I mean, sure. he had come out with a bunch of hit novels. He was throwing around, you know, lesser books all over the place. His movie, his books were being turned into movies left and right so in a way you can see a direct i mean like you said he throws himself in every book that he does but this is a very direct connection almost and him being like you're kind of getting schlocky with the way that you're writing like you know you're just pumping this out for a career you're just pumping it out for a dollar like maybe go back and like really figure out what matters what means something to you right which is i think what john cusack's character has been was missing this whole time and why he had to go and reckon with himself in 1408 the reckoning well that's exactly what he fucking did Mike Anselin was kind of, like, an irredeemable character, though. Like, he, especially the way, like, he, his wife even talks about it. She's like, don't hear from you. She's like, are we separated? Are we divorced? Like, he just completely has bailed on her for a year. Right. And, I mean, uh, honestly, it's, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that he is irredeemable because it's like, okay, that's his way of coping with something that's so terrible. It's like, okay, sure. So you abandoned your, your wife, and that was pretty shitty. Hmm. Like, absolutely fucking terrible to do. However, I could I could at least put myself in his shoes and understand why he needs to disappear. Well, grief takes on many forms. And, I agree. And sometimes a lot of people get hurt because of it. Yeah. But you also add that to his arrogant personality, too. And it's just like, oh, this guy sucks. 
So at the end of the at the end of the movie, both endings taken into account. Do you find yourself liking Mike, or do you think that he got what he deserved? I admire the way he went out. I don't think there's any other real way that he could get out of it. No, I mean I think that the, now that I'm thinking, no, about unless it, he, unless he killed himself, you know. Yeah, like, I do. I do remember the the theatrical ending where he lives and he, they play the tape recorder back and he's back with his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the one that I saw was Sam Jackson at the the funeral, and I kind of like that better because I don't think that it would do a lot if if he actually did live at the end of the story. I mean, like sometimes I feel like in a story, like sacrifice is the only redemption. And in this case, I feel like maybe that was just the case. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm still trying to struggle. It's like, God, this guy wasn't exactly a monster. So I don't know if that was really necessary. But for this story, I kind of like it ending that way. I liked Samuel Jackson's scene in the other version that I've seen where he's sitting in his office and he says, you know, well done, Mr. Well Ranslin. done, Mr. Yeah. Ranslin. Honestly, oh, that's, right. that's right. He does do that. Honestly, I like the first version, but I like the theatrical release better because, you know, he's like you said, he's not exactly a redeemable character, but at the end of the theatrical release, he's back with his wife. You as an audience member think that hopefully this guy has learned something. And maybe there's a chance of hope for him moving forward. In sure. in this other version, I have two problems. One, we don't get that chance for him. He's he's dead, and like yes, he gets to be with Katie, but he doesn't really get to redeem himself in in the real world. In the real world. And the second beef that I have with this <laughs> this alternative ending, I really don't like the way it was put together. Like the acting. And I didn't like Sam Jackson at the end there. No, like, he's trying to explain. He's like, but what he did now the room. It's like it's so it's so cheesy. She it's so over it. the top. And quite honestly, she doesn't know anything about the room. Right, right? Exactly. And he's like, no, 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 let me tell you. Let's have a fifteen minute scene. And Tony Shalhoub's like, buddy, yeah, let buddy. Give him well, and then space. Mike's ghost is in the back the ghost, seat. I, just, I really didn't I like that. that. Yeah, yeah, I really didn't like because it's like then you show Mike as this like redeemed soul it's like so is his ghost gonna haunt samuel L. jackson in the backseat of his car that has nothing to do with the room well that makes me think is sam in the room has sam always been in the room is he always the kid no no <laughs> get out of here with that nonsense i don't think so oh, andrew's kind of intrigued by it. i don't like that i don't like that at all <laughs> put I'm it in. away it happened <laughs> put it away i'm in that's the ending you know what's kind of funny though back to uh, the caretaker and always being the caretaker um you've always so the guy in the vent the caretaker the guy in the vent uh who slit his throat and then tried to sew it back yeah. together his name's grady of course Ooh, it is. Shout out. <laughs> I thought that was kind of, I was like, Ooh, you little devil. Uh-huh. Grady? You are uh, the caretaker you here. are. Mr. Grady? Mr. Grady? <laughs> <laughs> double, um, sir, double Grady. I'm afraid you have me confused with somebody else, sir. If I may be so bold, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, uh, that, you know, that's... Um, What'll it be, Lloyd? Mm, you're the best of them. I've always said that. Drink from, up, Mr. Torrance. From Portland, or, uh, from Portland to Timbuktu. Um, general consensus, uh, I don't have a lot more. I actually think that we covered, you know, a good amount. Yeah, I feel like this is definitely a, a short one. I mean, there's, it's, it is what it is. I'm trying to think of any other uh, particular scenes that might have or might not have done it. Uh, let's see. I think that... 
Yeah, I mean, the the, the, uh, the the ledge scene was a little cheesy where there's no window and he's kind of stuck in there. And I do like his Encyclopedia Brown scene where he's trying to break everything down and he's like, okay, okay, chocolates by the bed. And he's like, and then, oh, and he like, and then that, that and gave him time to get in here to do the, the, the Houdini bathroom with the toilet paper. He's like, but now he's in the living room. Like, and, 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 oh, and see, that was, see, that's like a great example of Nick caging it up. Yeah, like the, you've, you've in the Cage best now. way. In the best <laughs> way, like face off, Nick Cage. Yeah. Um, I, what was I gonna say? I wanted to comment on the ledge scene. Um, I think that the CGI of it all and the way it was filmed isn't that great, but I found myself really compelled by it this time around because I have a horrible fear of heights. So like even okay, yeah, dude. Even so that hit you. Oh, it hit me. It hit me. And Where? Even, even though, what do you mean? Where did it hit you? In the subcockles? In the subcockles? In the cockles? Maybe even in the subcockles. Um, no, I. it just like, oh, for some reason I was like, ah, he's about to fall. Well, and you would, like, if you're that fucking He never would have made it to that window. The, he the wind, never would have made it. The wind takes you out immediately. Like, the wind would have gotten him, he would have been done. I don't think you guys know John Cusack. I don't think that you know New York. John Cusack has a tight center of gravity. <laughs> he ain't going nowhere. <laughs> he ain't going know that anywhere. Amazing to me. Because he told me. <laughs> John Cusack called me after the movie premiered and said, I have a great center of gravity. I never would have fallen off that ledge. I'm a diver. I'm a master diver. <laughs> and if those shitbags say otherwise. <laughs> don't let the reviewers get you down. That Siskel and Ebert, fuck them. <laughs> I wonder what Rods thought of this. Um, was Roger? I'm looking it up. Anyway. Oh, you're looking it up. I was gonna look it up, but if you want to take the reins, well, I already have it open. What did, what did what did Raj have to say? I bet he didn't like it. I Raj bet he didn't like it. Like Raj movie. isn't really uh, the John Cusack 1408 kind of guy. No, he doesn't. I've like always these. said that about him too. Yeah, I know you have. I've heard him say it plenty of times. <laughs> I've said it a lot about Open Raj. <laughs> you have always Open said that. Beverages. Uh, he actually didn't review this one. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good enough to review. He was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, I got other movies to watch." No, no, no he didn't want. He didn't review it. Uh, all right. So, what do you guys think? Categories I feel like the categories. Or? I feel like the categories will help flesh some things out. Categories. Categories. Daiquiris. Ladies and gentlemen, cool. I am going to ask one of these two people at a time whether or not it worked. And right now, I'm asking Matthew, did it work? I think it worked for what it is. I think that it could have been better. And really, the only thing that I have to go off of would have been the camera work. I think that some of the camera work was just a little bit... It didn't always work for me. It felt like it was a bit sticky, a little cartoony. But, like... And and I'll I'll acknowledge the uh, the the 1950s, like, you know, the, the television aspect. I was like, eh, I agree with you. But overall... I think it works. Andrew? I agree. I think it works. I definitely, as a purist, <laughs> I thought it could have and should have been scarier. As a purist. As a purist to what? Horror movies. <laughs> I love being scared. <laughs> like, I love things that are actually scary that, like, make me shit. Don't even lie. You were so scared the first time we saw this. Yeah, but I was 11. <laughs> <laughs> Like now, I'm like, oh god, they ha they they had big opportunity to scare me here, and they didn't. Well, I mean, I think that. But yes, 
I think it works. Fine. Uh, Two I th- works. I think that, see, this is tough because I'm not exactly sure if it does or does not work, but I, I think I'm erring more towards the side of it working because the things that really did scare me. That's so surprising coming from that's you. Interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. One might say very interesting. One might say a little to very interesting. It's probably very interesting. You shit on every movie that comes through this fucking door, so I'm surprised to hear you say that this works. Listen, man, I've given it plenty of shit throughout this whole fucking podcast. <laughs> but, but it works. Tell us why. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I think the things that uh, truly horrify me in this movie come through. Mm. And um, not being able to escape the reality you're in, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, well, well, not being able to escape. Yeah, like that 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 is a horrifying, like, big umbrella of this. And uh, eternal hallucination is a huge fear. Um, the idea of thinking that you're out of something horrifying to just be sucked back in. Like, like when you're in a fever and like, okay, I, I'm the fever broke, thank God. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, fuck, the fever's back. This fuck. sucks. No. So you're saying it was a good recommendation for this week. Yeah, say it. Say it. I want you to say it. I need you to say it. Yeah, fine recommendation. Thank job, you. Man. Excellent. Fucking fine. I did the thing. Hey. <laughs> God, fuck uh, all right, is this a movie or film, Andrew? Movie, just plain. It's movie. just a movie. no debate. It's just a movie. It's just a movie. It's a movie. That's the same. Yeah, I'm actually going to say that it's a movie. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, a movie. it's a it's a fucking movie. One hundred percent movie. <laughs> <laughs> I got her good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's see if it goes to the theater or if it goes on the demand. Hmm, that's a good question. That is a good question. I want to know what Matthew thinks. I still think it goes to theater um, for some reason. I think that the name Stephen King still has a little bit clout, a uh, little bit of clout in the theater. Um, Disagree. That's fair. I mean, it also like in today's climate, it would probably be a straight to video. You know what? It is. It's a straight to video. It's a prime. It's a. It's a. It's a Netflix specifically because of um, Sam. No, because of like the Laura's game or whatever that movie was, Gerald's, like, Gerald's game oh, Gerald's and um, game. the mo- the movie about the field the and stuff grass. like that. Yeah, so Stephen King movies lately oh, have come. Too? Yeah, they've come to Netflix. So that's, I mean, that's, that's strictly you know, what I'm basing it on. That's where I'm at too. I think that this movie doesn't do anything so incredible where it's like a have to see movie, but it could be one of those like, you know. It was a like half good Netflix random pick, and, and it's not one that you need to see on the big screen because well, it's I don't not. Think so I mean, I think that like maybe the sound might add to it, and like some of the visuals might be cool to see in a theater um, element or environment. But uh, Morty, I think that it really is a you know you can watch this at home, and it's not Carrie, it's not it, it's not Children of the Corn. You know what I mean? It's it, it falls on the mid tier Stephen King stories. Mm. It's not one of like the the higher build one that needs. You think those screen movies release. are above mid tier? We'll get to that in a bit. We'll get to that in a bit. Christ Almighty! Okay, who <laughs> fucking stole the movie then? Oh, I have an answer for this. Can I go? Well, seeing, it Tony that you know, <laughs> seeing that you have the floor now, go it's, for it. It's the it's the maintenance guy who comes in. Just tap the damn thing. Just tap the damn thing. <laughs> yeah, so what are you What are you doing? That. You coming in? No, I ain't going in there. Any jackass can figure this out. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because that's my guy too. Yeah, he stole the movie for me. I think it's the voice of the person on the phone. That's fair. Yeah, oh, that's a pretty I, good one. Yeah, yeah that's I think good. that one because that oh, voice you ready is to like check out Mr. Enslin? Yeah. 
Your sandwich will be ten minutes late. What? I what sandwich? I didn't order a sandwich. <laughs> that's an that's an homage to Samuel L. Jackson right there. <laughs> Shit, bitch! I bet he was on set. and He was like, "What would Sam say?" Sam looked at him. and He was like, "I'm gonna t- I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what to say." Do this, <laughs> ma fucking scene. <laughs> All this right. is how I would do it. What's next? All right. Uh, let's see. Favorite line in the movie? It, just tap the damn thing. No. <laughs> um, Isn't that? Uh, like, kind of semi-seriously, yes. Mine's when he's, as, uh, when he's at the book signing and the guy goes, Where, where's the best place that I could guarantee to see a ghost? And he goes, guaranteed? It's Haunted Mansion, Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. I actually really like, can you can you give the quote again? Do you do you actually know the quote um, about, you know, ghost ghoulies? And, uh, I can pull it up for you. Whatever that line is. Ace, you can give yours and then I'll pull it up. Mine is when they have, when Samuel Jackson is, uh, he's giving him the files. He's literally giving him an eight hundred dollar bottle of booze. He's smooching him in the most like hospitality, you know, professional way to do it. And uh, Cusack kind of looking around, takes a sip. He's like, "Hmm, pretty good." I'm still going in. And then yeah. there's a really like hard cut of Samuel Jackson. Damn it to hell. Damn it to hell. Damn it. <laughs> he, so he goes, do you know why I can stay in your spooky old room, Mr. Olin? Because I know that ghoulies and ghosties and long-legged beasties don't exist. And even if they did, there's no God to protect us from them. Now is there? I really like that line. That's, that's I really like that's that line. That's a pretty big hitter. Now, what's what's his name in this? Olin. Mike Enslin or Mr. Olin? Olin. 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 We should just saying. No, no, it's Sam Jackson. Let's not well, kid ourselves. It's Samuel Olin. Olin. <laughs> Samuel L. Olin. Samuel L. Olin. <laughs> Which is interestingly reminiscent of Mr. Olman in uh, Olman. Shining. Olman. Stuart Olman. Stuart Olman. U-L-M-A-N. Yeah, Olman. Yeah, Olman. This is Olin. Olin and Olman. Stephen King. Can I, yeah. what, what, what do you What do you expect? I think Stephen King's not actually as creative. As no, I don't give him credit no, for. And I've said, hey, you and I have talked about this before. If you write as much as Stephen King does, it's literally you're going to turn out something good eventually. Eventually, you will. And even the things that you turn out that aren't that fucking great. Like, he turns out 18 novels a year. Like, <laughs> fucking Christ. The guy writes for 20 minutes. Like, the first thing he does, or at least did for a while, was write for fucking 20 minutes. Like, yep. he woke up, made coffee, and just started writing. Well, that's and what I'm saying. threw it all away. It's like, that's just how he started a day. Yeah, exactly. So, You're I mean, going to... Th- like, there's, there's a, hell of a, lot to, a hell of a lot to be said about that discipline. Hmm. But, Jesus Christ, man. Like, it's... <laughs> you, like, too much output. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Whereas my boy Cormac... I'm actually reading... The book by Cormac McCarthy right now, and it's like that guy takes eighteen years to write a book. <sighs> yeah, and, and God, he makes him like. I Can like you Cormac believe McCarthy that? A lot, but Jesus Christ is his fucking books half unreadable. I think the one that I'm reading now you would enjoy. It's called. Uh, I I can't figure out the pronunciation. It's either Sutri or Sutri. 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 Yeah, it's part of the uh, the border tr- uh, border trilogy. Border yeah. trilogy. Yeah. Yeah, and it ends with all the pretty horses. So it's no, I think Sutri. It's called the pretty horses. No, I'm pretty sure I think it's Sutri is the. Uh, yeah, I, I think know. it's vice versa. I think it's Sutri, which got him his grant to do uh, Blood Meridian, and then all the pretty horses came after Blood. This, uh, what's the third one then? The, I just said them. No, Blood Meridian. Sutri is part of. Yeah, Sutri is. Blood, Blood no, Meridian. Blood Meridian is. I don't think it is, man. I think, what is it called? The Border Trilogy? Yeah, I don't think that Blood Meridian is part of that trilogy. You're going to suck your own dick in a minute. Yeah, I don't think Lanolin? so. Lanolin? <laughs> Lanolin? 
I don't think so, man. I don't think Blood Meridian is part of that trilogy. Oh, okay, you're right. And yes, oh, your own fucking dick, pal. Suck your dick. <laughs> remember when we all believed that Marilyn Manson got two ribs removed so he could I suck his own dick? I remember when you did. <laughs> I remember when you did. When Suchry's not even you. in there. Suchry's not even in the Border Trilogy. I apologize. What are you no, waiting is, for? It? No, it's all the pretty horses. It's the crossing, and it's cities on the plane. Cities on the fucking plane. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That. What are you waiting for? What am I, what? Suck your own dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me ask you this, guys this, back to it. What would you guys do differently? I'd make it scarier. Make it scarier. How would you do that? Yeah, specifically. Because like I said, the... You just throw out those claims. The things those in the movie, the character declarative the accusations. Am I good? The characters in the movie that were added as extensions to make it scary are no longer scary. It doesn't hold up. Like they're too cartoonish. I would have made like it. Vern Troy. I would have made it darker. The, the guy in the vent. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. Matthew, what would you do different? Camera. Probably camera, but like at the same time, this movie, it's like such a, it's a really weird one in the sense that it's like. How could you have done it differently? But at the same sure. time, like, if you did uh, do it differently. <laughs> glad you liked that. I'm glad you liked that. Jesus Christ, it's not fucking different than what I do all the time. It was just punctuated. It was a, a big time. one. Um, no, I don't know if I would do much different. I mean, it is what it is. This movie, like, I guess, I guess usually I would care more and I would want, you know, like there are movies like it's like, oh no, like this was good. If this had been a little bit better, it would have been amazing. But with 1408, I'm like, I'm pretty much just accepting you as my middle child. Like, you know, there you are. Wow. Okay. You're good to watch every three years. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I could not watch it for the rest of my life until it's suggested for a podcast that I do. <laughs> It's aggressive. <laughs> that, yeah, saying. yeah. You, what would you, you do differently? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Alex. Go well, ahead. Let me uh, let me take down the scroll here. <laughs> um, <laughs> Christ Almighty! <laughs> Matthew, look at yourself. You're fucking. Oh my you're god! All over the uh, oh my god! Fucking smashing beers, getting all fucking foamy. You can anyway. see Matthew trying to suck his own dick right now. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, what I would do differently, I would have, I would have reined in the Cusack. I would have reined in the Cusack. I would have definitely like, like got him to be a little less uh, cartoony over the top. A little like, less Cusackian. A little, a little less Cusackian. I mean, there's plenty of Cusackians in the world, but I would have maybe like reined that a little bit. I would have definitely ended it about maybe 15 to 25 minutes beforehand. So you would have gotten rid of the entire section where they were on the beach? And <laughs> no, 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 no. I really like that. I really did like that. There are some things in the hotel room I probably would have a cut. Anything, uh, like, in particular, um, I don't know. I would have definitely made it more real sooner. You know, I would have made the, the room more real more sooner because there's a lot of points where you're not completely convinced whether or not it's the room that's fucking with him or if it's him that's fucking with himself. Mm. Like, there's a lot of points where it's like, okay, he still has a way out if there is a way out. Mm. I would have I would have definitely made that happen a little bit sooner. I would have, as much as I thought that the daughter scene um, hit with Cusack's performance, I would have probably cut out the very obvious lines of, you don't love me anymore? 
like things like that, I would have kind of made, I would have like taken out that kind of doubt from the the hallucination of the daughter. I would have taken that out and I would have made it more real um, in the sense of like non questioning. Like it would have I would have made it a little bit more direct. Like no, I am this. Like don't make him question it. Like like that. Like sassily. Like there was a bit of sass like in that scene where I was like, ah, you're anti sass. I'm not fucking anti-sass. Sounds like you're anti-sass. I am not anti-sass. I will sass your ass through this fucking wall. <laughs> but um, yeah, again, there there are a bunch of things I would have done. A little bit less Cusackians and you know shit like that. But uh, other than that, no, not not too much. Not too much I would have really done differently unless I stripped it down and started from the beginning. Which, like, that's why I didn't want to answer because, like, honestly, I would have stripped it down right from the beginning and yeah, started, get started from scratch. If I could just get the script as text, I might have some different ideas of how to go about doing this. Yes. I do think that they tried to rip a couple of pieces from Kubrick's Shining and try to add them into here, then I don't think that they translated 100% well. It's interesting that you say that because, I mean... Whenever you're talking about a Stephen King adaptation, you, you're holding everything up against The Shining, and I actually feel the opposite. I feel like they went out of their way not... Not to make it Stephen Kingish. Not to make it Kubrick. Not to make it Kubrick. And I think, like, maybe that's where I have a little bit of beef with the camera work, because, like, this movie is, like, the anti-Kubrick. It's a lot of jump cuts. It's a lot of coverage. It's, uh, you know, it's it's not taking its time to build the pace. It's like, oh, we're I in it. So. Here we go. I, or maybe it's not taking its time to build the pace, but it definitely does take its fucking time. This movie? Yeah. It's well, fucking long. Man. Yeah. Man. Man, it's fucking long. <laughs> Man. Man. Yeah. <laughs> real that, quick, that, real quick, real quick. I got one that it's it's not officially on our our breakdown list, but I do want to know what's uh who who would you cast if you if you recast it? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are right you now? kidding me? You're gonna hit me with that <laughs> yeah, yeah, without yeah. giving me any time? no no prep no prep. Yeah, hit it immediately. Go go. God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. Who's playing Mike Enslin? Go. Oh man. Toby Maguire. I agree. Who's <laughs> playing Michael Enslin? How do you feel about John Bernthal? He. I feel like he's too old. I feel too like old. he. I feel like him and John Cusack are the same age. So what would be the now? Yeah. Would, would like they're the same yeah, age now? I feel like they're the same age. <laughs> no. Well, John Bernthal looks like a healthy eighty-five. A healthy I feel like they're what both the fuck like. What's wrong with you? I feel like they're eighty-five. <laughs> like, like John Cusack might be like fifty-three years old. Show me I feel a healthy eighty-five-year-old and put him next to John Bernthal. I feel like Bernthal's like forty-eight. Like I don't think there's. Yeah, like, he is like forty-eight. Yeah. All right. Well, it, John Cusack now is fifty-four. So Ooh. how old? How old would he have been when he made this? So it's two thousand twenty-one, two thousand seven. I'm not good at math. So, so. he would have been forty. He would have been 40. So give me a 40-year-old actor that could play him is what you're asking me. Yeah, but I, wh- I'm saying John Bernthal looks like a healthy 48. Yeah, that's not bad. I like John Bernthal. I mean, I if I had to... How old is Mike John Bernthal? Enslin, a new Mike- John Bernthal is 44. Yeah, all right. So fine. John Bernthal. Good good call, Matthew. But who would you have been? <laughs> he can do it. I think he could really do it. I'm not disputing that. What about Sounds- Jesse Eisenberg? Jesse Eisenberg? Yeah. He doesn't have that. Uh, I don't no, know. I mean, oh, that'd be interesting, though. Like, I, I keep thinking It'd be interesting. It. Like, the milliseconds that I'm processing it, it's Have like, we seen Vivarium? It wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. But he took double, on a though. different role in that. He double did. Double was fucking sick. What? Double? I didn't see that. Well, that double. one was good. Double was good. What about Miles Teller? 
Miles Teller. Well, um, uh, I don't hate. I don't hate I don't that. Know. He almost looks Cusackian. No, 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 that's not what this is. But I'm just saying, I like that. I added that after. What about Robert Pattinson? Can he do it? Yep, he, he could do it. Uh, Robert Pattinson could, could do it. That's do a it. good call, is. He that's could a good definitely call. Definitely do it. Robert Pattinson as a madman, or as a man that goes mad in a hotel room. Like Remy, uh, Remy Malik. If we, or if if Willem Dafoe was maybe like 15 years younger, I think Willem he could Dafoe have done would be. Fucking He's Sam older Jackson. than Cusack. He would be. Sam he would have been Sam Jackson. Yeah, he, he would have been, been Sam Jackson. Jackson. So, so the lighthouse. Yeah. Give me the light. Give me the light. the light. Yeah, that's that's what we're going for. Okay, with that, I believe that we have wrapped up fourteen oh eight, and this week's challenge. We wanted to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, we are going to rate the best Stephen King adaptations and the worst, or like top five best, five top and five. five worst. Yeah, let me take it from here. So you know, obviously everybody knows that Stephen King has had a long career of having his stuff turned into movies. He's got the Dollar Baby program for students. You know, buy his buy his screenplay, uh, buy his short stories for a dollar. You can turn them in. So uh, anyway, what we're doing today is we're going to look at his five best versus his five worst. I'd like to say I took this as films that I've seen. Me too. I didn't do this based because he's got like 89 adaptations of exactly. films. Exactly. So I took this as the films I've seen. Films not or TV yeah. series or TV Nothing movies. that I have not seen before is on this list. So. Is that fair to say for you too, Ace? Yep. Yes, okay. All right, cool. It certainly is. All right, I just it, felt it needed to be said. No, like, no, that's valid because, yeah. Can I go first, though? I would really like to go first. <laughs> okay, yeah. I really want to go first. Do you want to do worst or do you want to do best? <laughs> let's, do, <laughs> let's, let's do worst first. What are the worst Stephen King adaptations? Worst first. Okay, bold fucking hit out of the goddamn cage is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Hold on. I thought Ace was going, not Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you this. Worst out of the gate is it. Are you talking about the original or are you talking about the remake? You could put them both up there and they both get to hang. <laughs> Andrew's not happy. That's Andrew I doesn't like that. I'm baffled. <laughs> That's why he wants to go first. That's why. He's going to fucking hate this. Andrew's leaving. I'm walking off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so his worst adaptation, you think, is it, or is that like number? Or is that one? number five? That's number one. Okay. Out of the five. Okay. That's number one. But out are of you the going five. in order? No, like, I'm not. I'm not. These are just the five. Worst no order. That I've known. Just I'm gonna go in order. Yeah, yeah I'm five. going in order. Whatever, fuckers. This is just five. Of what I think is the worst. Yeah, keep it up. I will. <laughs> uh, the Shining miniseries. <laughs> did they do that? Yes, they yeah, did. Okay. 1992, I want to say, or Oh yes, wasn't Warren Beatty in it? Was it Warren B that was doing that? Oh, man, I'm going to double-check myself on that. It was bad. It was just fucking terrible. Like, a way, it was like almost Goosebumps-ish. Not to be confused with Warren Beetlejuice. Or Warren there is Buffett. no Warren Beetlejuice. It's just Beetlejuice. And it's anyway. Michael Keaton. How do you know his first name's not Warren? Because me and Tim Burton have a phone you that guys, we call each other You don't on. know anything. No, you, don't. you don't know dick about dick. Anyway. You don't know dick about <laughs> So, uh, no one wants to fight me on that one? No, I'll give you that one. You're fucking terrible. I can't wait to fight you on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was starting Stephen Weber. Number three, uh, Pet Symmetry. Sure, I won't fight you on Pet that. Pet Cemetery sucks. Well, again, original, again, original, original or, remake. or remake. Again, put them both side okay. by side. Okay. All right, yeah. both suck. These are the parameters. Yeah, and, I, I, I know. And, <laughs> a throwback. I thought about this when I was putting this in there. Is like, am I talk about the original or am I talk about the remake? Both, both. apply. Okay, right. both fucking apply. All right, so that was three. Um, number four, Children of the Corn. Mm. Terrible. 
They made one hell of a fucking franchise out of it. Didn't need to. I love that. Did not need to. You you honestly could have just left it as like, okay, we tried. And then that was that. It mm. was, it just it was one of those things that like Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the original Children of the Corn John Car- uh, John Carpenter? I feel like I'm wrong. I feel like I'm wrong. There is something that Carpenter did. I think it was the not the Langoliers. Um it could it could have been Children of the Corn. Thought it was bad. And um the fifth one that I have here is In the Tall Grass. Fair. In the Tall Grass sucked. Fair. Like who is that guy? Pete um Oh, Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy? No, not Pete Wentz from Fallout Boy. Um, he was in uh, Insidious. Andrew would know. I wouldn't. Yeah, who's the who's the lead guy in Insidious? I thought it was uh, Wilson. Um, no, I thought it was Patrick Ethan Wilson. Hawk. Patrick. That's Patrick right. Wilson's it was in. Pa- it was it was uh, not Pete. Patrick. Uh, I dude, that guy is more hits or more misses than hits with me. Mm. And I fucking hated him in this. I really fucking hated him in this. I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. Uh, just saying, Marty. Tough list. <laughs> yeah. So those, those are my those are my worst. Let's let's get the uh, let's get the guillotine set up. All right. You want me to go next, or you want to go? Do you want a rebut? Are you giving it? You're gonna give him his best. You want me to go best? Oh no, I thought we. Yeah, well, do you want to do worse than best? No, I think we should just wrap it up per person instead of like revolving it twice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Fair. Cool. All right. Best ones: The Shining. Fucking obviously, it's The Shining. What do you mean obviously? I mean obviously because Jesus Christ, man, is there anything that is more obvious than The Shining? There is. Can't wait to tell you mine. I have three. Yeah. You're wrong. (laughs) You're all gonna get fucking something from the top row. Second, Green Mile. Yep. Green Mile is a fucking home run movie. Mm-hmm. Home run movie, home run story. I thought it was... It, it's so detached. Sorry about that. I had a little bit of technical difficulty. But we're back with my list of best Stephen King movies. You know what? We'll forgive you. Yeah, you should fucking <laughs> forgive me because we got to keep going here. Okay. After the Green Mile, which was the home fucking run movie, which... Uh, Stand by so me, detached, right? No. It oh. was so detached from all that is Stephen King, at least when I first saw it. I didn't realize that it was that Stephen King. It's so it. good. It's so fucking good. Again, but, if you're throwing that many darts at the wall, you're going to hit bullseye eventually. Yeah. And that, that was just like... What are you making that face for? <laughs> Anyway, anyway, next one was Shawshank Redemption. Again, we all like the Shawshank Redemption. Another thing, which uh, I don't even know if there's anything supernatural about that. If there is, maybe it's there's just not. like, if there is anything in Shawshank that's supernatural, it's the idea of God helping um, Andy Dufresne get out of this situation alive. It's my second favorite Clancy Brown role, only behind Mr. Krabs and SpongeBob. God, okay. Are you kidding? Is Clancy Brown in that? Mm-hmm. And SpongeBob is Krabs. He's Mr. Krabs, yeah. And who is he in? The main uh, sergeant. That's Clancy. That's Clancy Brown. Yeah. Yeah, dog. You told us. Anyway, uh, next one is Stand by Me. Again, another movie with no supernatural elements. Just an incredible story. Fucking Rob Reiner. Um, I'm actually working with Clancy Brown right now. Um, well, good for you. How is I don't really give a, nice a fuck. No, I've never met him. <laughs> He's probably fine. Um, but Stand by Me is a beautiful movie, and there's no supernatural elements to it. There's just the murder mystery of it all. Right, right. It's, and I, maybe that's the part of it that makes it Stephen King is the fact that there's a dead body involved. Mm. And it's like, well, if you really only need that, then the fuck is Stephen King. But anyway, the last one that I have, Morty, is Hearts in Atlantis. And that's, I can't fucking remember that movie. Is that with uh, Anthony Hopkins? That's correct. 
That's correct. And there's a bit of supernatural in that where he almost has like a John Coffey kind of ability. Because he can, what, read minds or like he touches people and he can see into their thoughts? Yeah, and he like helps them kind of reckon with some deep shit. He thinks of them. And he, huh? What? <laughs> What did you say? Well, it's funny that you say that because that's uh, like not specifically, not specifically. I was, I was in, quoting in, Freddy Got Fingered know, for what in, it's in, worth. In Hearts of Atlantis, there's a, a weird element of everybody turns on Anthony Hopkins because of, he's touching people. He's he's touching people, and then that's the thing because like there are these two kids involved who like meet him and they they think he's cool, but they don't understand that he's actually like an angel. Gotcha. So th- that's my top five list. All right, let's go to your top five. That's your best. That's my best. You already okay. heard my worst. Yeah. So who wants to fight me on what? I feel like I'm going to be a neutral party here, so I'm going to go next, unless you want to fight me on it. Unless you... Okay, no one's going to fight me on anything. I'm not going to fight you, no. Uh, do your top five... I mean, I've already made my qualms about your top five, but I feel like my list will justify why. And I'm going to go in... Uh, Descending order. Are you doing worst first or best? I'm going to do worst first. I'll do worst first. Um, Cujo. I really did not like Cujo. And maybe it's the animal lover in me. Probably. Uh, um, The next worst for me is the dead zone. Eh, Didn't do it for me. It was really bad. Um, Third on my list for top five worst is Carrie. I don't think Carrie is good at all. It's really? so bad. Plug it up. Plug it up. No, it up. it's so Plug bad. It Fucking uh, they did. Brian, De- Brian, Brian De Palma just doesn't do it for me, man. Um, next, this is like a catch twenty two for me because I didn't know it was Stephen King. He wrote the short story under a pseudonym. And then the movie, like, my dad introduced this to me at a very young age. And, like, I loved it at the time. I was like, oh, man, Arnold Schwarzenegger fucking killing it. But then when I found out it was Stephen King, I'm like, oh, running man. Running man. man. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so steeped in, like, 80s that I'm like, ugh. Yeah, the running man's fun. I thought maybe it was kindergarten. It's fun. It's fun. All right. And then uh, number one on my list of worst Stephen King adaptations, 100% will every time go to Dreamcatcher. That's the worst? In my opinion. Wow. And here's why. Because. not worst? Cujo bullets not worst? No, no. Langoliers is not worst? No, no. For me, it's Dreamcatcher, and here's why. (laughs) Because Dreamcatcher wants to be a really good Stephen King adaptation. But we Ace and I have had this conversation many times. The thing about Stephen King adaptations that really hinder the movies are they don't they either don't understand the supernatural psychological aspect that he's writing, or they translate it in a way that's so fucking corny. And I think the Dreamcatcher is like the epitome of translating that to corny. Like the bug and then the alien at the end. I'm just like, oh man, I wish I wish you did better. I wish you did a lot better. Damn. I mean I I half agree with you, but I don't because Dreamcatcher falls into the as far as I mid tier. It's mid tier because there are so many Stephen King adaptations that like his books are really good until they're not. Mm. And there's a very stark like line as to when this movie starts to suck or when this book starts to get fucking annoying. Well, with Dreamcatcher, for me, it starts to suck when we go into his memory, his dream palace, and he's got the library, and he's trying to lock up the library from the bug that's chasing him. 
I agree. Mm, yeah, I agree with right. both of your sides here. I agree with you in the sense that when you think Dreamcatcher, you think more mid tier. But I see what you're saying because if I can remember 2003 correctly, I think Dreamcatcher was like a high budget movie. Like I think yeah. when it came out, it was like everybody come see this mid level Stephen King adaptation with a lot of great like, actors. Yeah, a lot of good, a lot of good people promoted too. Very highly promoted. I remember when Thomas Dreamcatcher, Jane. Yeah, I remember Dreamcatcher coming out pretty vividly. So yeah, yeah I, I agree with both movie. you on that one. All right, you want me to go to my best? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hit him. All right, so five to one. Five to one. The Shining, number five. Okay, fine. Number four. Don't even want to look at you. Misery. Mm-hmm. I love Misery. I love Misery. Uh, number three, Secret Window. Number four, The Green Mile. Number one, Shawshank. Shawshank takes it number one every fucking time for me, dude. That is Stephen King writing so beautifully. I agree with that. So beautifully. But I mean, we're talking about film. We're talking about adaptations of his writing into a film. And I think that the film translates. The film translates very well. Like the cinematography, the acting, the pacing of it all. I really think that Shawshank is one of the best fucking movies that's ever been made. I, I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. And where where I disagree with The Shining as number one. The Shining is... Because it's so far away from the novel itself or... Uh, sure. I've only read parts of the novel, so I can't really say like entirely, indefinitely. But like with The Shining, I look at that. No matter what the source material is, it's a Kubrick film, for sure. So I'm, you know, I'm evaluating on that level. It's like, okay, yeah, it was based off of the book The Shining, but really, when we look at it, it's marked and pissed on by Kubrick. He's like, no, no, this is my film. I'm, I'm undoing my drawers right now. Stephen King, you're no longer gonna own rights to this after I'm done with it. But The Shawshank, it's like, oh, they made this beautiful film out of this beautiful story, and they kind of go hand in hand. So there's a very beautiful balance, a nice harmony when you look at those side to side. From book to that's That's where I'm coming from. I mean, very valid. Honestly, very fucking valid. I just believe that The Shining, for everything that you know Stephen King to be, it's so much better. It's just like, it, like honestly, Stephen King should just bow the fuck out and be like, "Yeah, that's what I meant." Yeah, he like, should stop. He, he should right. stop going on in public and being like, "Yeah, it's not really my movie." No, you should be like, "Ah, no, no, that I, I, I helped yeah, that." Yeah, that, that was you know, totally what I <laughs> that was what I was thinking. Yeah, that would be that would be you know. And I do have, and I do have a special mention for my top five. It it would have been if we had done a top six, it would have been Stand by Me. Man, I can't believe I didn't make your fucking five. Dude, The Green Mile and Shawshank. And, like, personal favorites, Secret Window and Misery. Like, well, those are those that, are I personal favorites. Stand By Me should have taken the place of Secret Window. Like, Misery definitely has. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a tough one to keep out. Because I remember Misery when I was a kid. And it's like, so good. It's, like, on the level of... Rob Reiner. Is that Rob Reiner? Yeah, that's it right. is. That's right. We talked about this. That yeah. is Rob Reiner. Uh, but there, like, the way that that shot is almost Kubrick-esque. Yeah. Like the way that that kind of lingers on and things. fucking Kathy Bates, oh, Kathy, Kathy Bates, dude, she kills it in that movie. Did we, you know, way back in the in the day when we did the uh, the top five, Kathy Bates didn't land anywhere in any list, did she? Which was probably a grave oversight. I, I would say so. Kathy Bates is a fucking gem, and Corinne would agree. Mm. She, she yeah. would agree. So, so that's, that, that's any that's any to. disagreements? You guys good? No. no, I don't have beef with that. All right, let's hear it, Andrew. Um, okay, so worst from number five, I have Children of the Corn. Mm-hmm. I have It Chapter Two, the new one. Yep, yeah, Chapter Two. I have Doctor Sleep. 
I have is bad. The new Pet Cemetery. Also bad. And I have the movie Cell with um, John Jackson? Cusack and Sam Jackson. Yeah. Jesus, they did yeah. two? Cell? Yeah. <laughs> I did John see, I Cusack? Never saw Cell, but yeah, I saw that they were it's, in it. It's like, it's like The Happening meets Cloverfield. And it's just awful. Oh, that yeah. came out. No, recently. no, no. It's like the happening meets Dawn of the Dead, kind of. I guess it would be. Okay. Well. Oh, I do know this. Movie. And it's I just awful. This it's a video Stephen on King. demand movie. Yeah, clearly, because I've never fucking heard of it. Yeah, it's. Hard. And I know everything. And I know everything. <laughs> um. So those are my five worst. You know, pretty cut yeah, and dry. Yeah, I'm not gonna fight you on yeah, any I don't of that. Disagree. Um. My five best. Number five, Secret Window. Mm. Number four, Stand by Me. Number three, It Chapter One. Number two, The Shining. Number one, Shawshank Redemption. Mm. I like that Shawshank was able to make it through on Mm -hmm. some of the best. Yeah. Like at least the top five best Stephen King adaptations. Because I agree that is certainly one of them. It's so good. It really, really is. And for what it's worth, I'm going to do a shout out to Rhombus right now. When we do eventually do Shawshank Redemption, we either need to have him on as a guest or we need to have him phone call in because nobody knows more about that movie than Thomas. Really? It's number yeah. one on That's IMDb's his favorite movie. Yeah, you're right. Shawshank is number one yep. best yeah. movie ever made. For good on. reason, too. Yeah. For very good reason. Not, o- not only is it an incredible adaptation of a Stephen King story, but it's just an incredibly shot and acted and crafted film like if you took stephen king out of the equation it would still be up there wouldn't it would still be up there again like it took the i knew it as a incredible movie before i knew it as a stephen king story Mm. i did too actually good call but like in in fairness the green mile is the same way it's got green mile is it's got the supernatural aspect to it but the green mile is heart Oh, that movie is just full of it. Full of heart. Full of it. And it's full of even like what it's full of. And what I think that this is something that he was harping on when he was coming to the story. It was like the horrors and monsters of actual people. Mm. And I think that's something that he was trying to get across in the Green Mile. And not only like having the monsters and the supernatural and like the things that you are scared of unreasonably. He put those monsters into real people. And then he put this angel on earth that people thought was a real monster dude like in in real situation and that's one of the things where it's like oh my god this fucking movie is so good that movie is the green mile is amazing because i'll i'll piggyback off what you said it, it looks at the horrors of humanity right and beautifully captured in the idea that you have good people represented by tom hanks and his team doing horrible things like yes the law says that you deserve to die but we're the ones who have to execute you and like like, there right. needs to be a dignity behind that. There needs to be a procedure behind that. But, like, it's still a fucking difficult thing to do. I agree. And that's why they don't... The guy who actually does the, uh, like, the like when they divvy out the process, is like, okay, who does the sponge? Who does the switch? Who is right there making the call? Who does the order? Hmm. Like, it's always Tom Hanks that did the order. And then I... Who is that fucking scumbag? The, he was in that Law & Order SVU. Scumbag. He played the BTK2. Yeah, that fucking piece of shit. Uh, what is his name? For, you know uh, what? Oh, and it's so bad. You're like, why didn't you just wet the sponge? Wanted, oh, my God. What's his name? What's his name? I'm gonna... It's like, it's not Remy... Or is it Remy? I, I remember it was like some kind of like childish name because he's such a child. Oh, and Sam Rockwell's in it. 
I totally yeah. forgot about oh that. Oh my god, Sam Rockwell is so good. He's so his name's kid. Percy. Percy, that's and is right. played by Doug Hitchinson. Right, Percy. That's oh, right. and Barry Pepper's in it. Barry Pepper, oh, of course, Barry Pepper. Barry Pepper. He plays the sniper <laughs> in Saving Private Ryan. He's got. Oh, he's always got those great bit parts. Dude, this is an amazing cast. Fucking Barry Michael Pepper. Clark. <laughs> Michael Clark Duncan. You got Tom Hanks, Sam Rockwell, David Morris, uh, James Cromwell. I love James, James Cromwell. Cromwell. Fucking awesome in this movie too. Take my hand, boss. <laughs> All right. Anyway, ladies anyway. and gentlemen, I have been drinking. I have been watching. I've been drinking, been watching. I've been drinking, been watching. No, I've been drinking, been no, watching. No, 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 no. Miles. <laughs> no, 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 Miles. Miles, 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 Miles. Keep drinking, keep watching, everybody. Thank you very much. Hope Good you night. enjoyed. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.